Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the Fatherhood Authority, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us on another Sunday morning as we present to you another episode of I Am Dad Podcast. Um, thank each and every last one of you for listening throughout the week. Our numbers continue to grow throughout the week. They always peak on Sunday and then really peak on Monday. Um, but they're also beginning to uh, move during the weekend. A few weeks ago, a real spike happened on a Thursday. I don't know what was going on, but folks are really beginning to uh, pay attention to what we're talking about. Um, as I said, continue to make sure that you hit the subscribe button, the follow button. Um, all of that stuff matters in algorithms, um, according to Feedspot, which is a platform that oversees blogs and podcasts around the world. Um, Two million to be exact on the podcast side. Um, there is a category of fatherhood and dad blogs around the world. Um, they have categorized about 1,800 of them. And I Am That Podcast is number seven. And so we are proud of that. Um, it is cool because it looks at more than just um, likes, uh, subscribes, and, and, um, and follows. It also looks at um, content, quality, um, consistency, uh, um, integrity, and a bunch of different other categories that it looks up and then it comes up with a, 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 a rate at the end or a number at the end and that's how they rank it and so I'm not satisfied at seven I need to get to six five four three two one <laughs> that means I need you guys to um, because that's the only category that we're kind of low in and that is to um, follow and subscribe because I don't push that and my wife keeps beating me over the head and said you got to tell people what to do I'm like okay we'll try that and see if it works so this morning though I have a very special guest a long time friend I don't even remember how we connected um, I absolutely love the work that she does. And you know, the work that we do with Fathers Incorporated, it kind of leans a little bit into the literacy side for a number of different reasons that we're talking about today. But her name is Mia Winston. And she has a blog called um, pragmaticmom.com. And so make sure you write that down. It's going to be in her um, bio when this is when this post pragmatic.com. She's also the co-creator and the president of Read Your World, where they celebrate Multicultural Children Books Day. And that day takes place in January. And we're going to talk about that as well. Her debut picture book, Somo Joe, um, by Lee and Lowe in 2019, was selected as a Bank Street College Best Children's Book of the Year. Uh, Food for the Culture, Sustainable Farms Around the World releases in spring of 2023. That's past, right? So the book yeah. is already out. That's out. already out. So make sure you check that out. And she's got some more books coming out in 24, and I'm sure more books after that. And we'll talk about all of her media contact information. Mia, how are you? Good. 
you know, I was, someone asked me like, wait, you're doing a podcast. Like, how do you know him? And then I remembered it was way, way back um, when we were just like looking for, you know, like who was doing like, you know, work supporting literacy and you were doing that barbershop books where you were donating books so Mm -hmm. that fathers could read um, Mm -hmm. books to, you know, their young boys in the barbershop chair. And I thought Mm -hmm. like that was such a brilliant connection to sort of have fathers involved with literacy and putting it in a barbershop, which is, you know, it's sort of like a rite of passage, isn't it? Like a father and son bonding. And I just thought that was like such a brilliant idea. And I knew we wanted to help. And so I think I reached out, I think I found you on Twitter to say like, oh, do you guys need books? And you're like, sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And we sent you books. I don't think we had only sort of like black theme books, but we just sent you like whatever books we had, you know, um, and you were so gracious to take it. And, and that was sort of, I think, how we met. That was, thank you for reminding me, because that drives me crazy when I forget how I meet people. And so you'll be happy to know that that program, Real Dads Read, is still moving. It is just, has taken on a whole nother life, you know, in my life, which keeps me attached to the literacy side. And so currently here in Metro Atlanta, um, we have libraries in um, over 100 facilities, barbershops, and we've expanded to schools um, through something else that Real Dad Reed connected me with and got me involved with, and that was sitting on the board of Little Free Libraries, right? And so yes. I get yes. to sit on the board. And our board. Little- you are on our board as well. Yes. And so all these folks are pulling me in the literacy space and people are like, what is going on? What does that have to do with fatherhood? And I'm like, okay, let's slow down. Let's talk about the connection with literacy and fathers and research and books and authors and all those things. And all of that stuff kind of pulled me into becoming a children's book author myself, you know, because most of what I was looking for um, with fathers at the kind of core theme of children's books didn't exist. So I had to create them myself. And now I'm four picture books in a graphic novel I'm about to release two affirmation journals I'm about to release and, and many other ideas, a Christmas book for small kids I'm, I'm about to release and a small affirmation journal for young, um, young, 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 young children. And so Mia, thank you for allowing me and pulling me into that space. I know order is not always designed and it just kind of happens. And, but I'm in here now and I'm just trying to figure it out and really trying to, at least do our work in getting particularly men and fathers to understand a the importance of literacy but b that they can make a tremendous impact on their children and how they learn and their thirst and desire and interest for reading and knowledge and all of those things so thank you so much for your role in pulling me into that space and i'm here for whatever you're doing however i can help you're gonna always have a friend in me Oh, thank you. So, no, you were always in that space. We just connected because we were both, you know, doing it, um, you know, at the same time. But no, I didn't pull you in. You were two feet in all on your own. So right. kudos to you, you know. 
Well, I'm more than two feet in now, so but it's all good. It's all good. So before we get into the literacy stuff and the reading and the book stuff, we do start off our podcast by asking all of our guests a question because it sets the stage for much of what we talk about and how we put everything else in context. And that is, Mia, tell us your daddy's story. It could be from the context of you and your dad, or it could be from you and your husband and your children, whatever your daddy's story is, or it could be from both. What's your daddy? So um, I'll do it with my husband. So I was always a big reader, but my husband was not, I mean, he didn't like, he, he didn't have the, you know, the same, I would say, you know, reading life as a child as I did. And so, you know, he didn't really know children's books. Um, And we were living in the south end of Boston at the time, which is not really child friendly. You know, it's 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 really uh, uh, single men and like young couples, you know, not like you don't see a lot of kids there. Um, And when I was pregnant with our first, he went into like, you know, like this kind of like little boutique, fancy boutique stores um, where they have, you know, all kinds of things. And he walked out with a pop-up picture book. And, and before our child's even born, he was like, I saw this and I bought this for the baby. You know, because we didn't know which sex it was. And it was a Macy book um, by Lucy Cousins. You know, and so it was like, I think it was Macy's ABCs. So it had like tabs to pull and, you know, like all interactive. And I was like, oh my God, that's so, that's so sweet. Like you want a book for the child, you know? He was like, I saw it. I just thought you would like it. We can read this to our child. And um, so the Maisie books are published by, he, did, uh, he doesn't know any of this, but they're published by Candlewood Press, which is a publishing company, you know, like a few, a few towns over. Um, I think it's Somerville. Like I, it's Cambridge, but technically it's Somerville. And, um, and so I, I ended up as a blogger um, and we ended up buying every single Macy book ever published. <laughs> Anytime we'd see one, we would buy, we had this huge collection and it was all because of, you know, like, I, I think that's how he discovered children's books again, like when we had children, but he literally, that was the first book we ever, like that our child ever got and we read to the child in the womb. <laughs> What was the thing that you noticed the most when he read to your children? What kind of things that you saw in the interaction between him and your children that you thought, wow? You know, it's like it's like that quiet bonding time, that cuddle, snuggle time, you know, that time to connect and, you know, kind of be there for the child, like read the book the kid wants or read it over and over again if, they, if that's what the child wants. And, you know, like... Um, like, like, you know, we, like the, my husband and I, we've done it all, like we've done all the different stages. Like I was a, you know, the breadwinner at one point, I was a stay at home mother at one point, and I was the work at home mother. And he was the stay at home dad with our first, and then we switched places, and then he was the breadwinner, and then he was, you know, work from home, you know, entrepreneur. So, you know, so at all different phases, you're, you know what I mean? Sometimes you're just like, like when he was the breadwinner, he was just working day and night, you know? So there were times where he couldn't even do bedtime and I would do, you know, three kids on my own lap. Um, but, you know, I, 
it always was a priority to try to slice in, you know, that 20 minutes of bedtime, which is, you know, st- stories. It's really sto- like reading, reading books together. Um, and, you know, and because like I was the one sourcing all the books, because, you know, I was like get, getting lists and like getting books from like, like, a, like literally a, like these book series about best books. So I had, I had like what I thought were the best picture books. And now like everyone looks back and even my husband and he'll be like, do you remember that book? Halibut Jackson. Do you remember that book? You know, um, Wadney Watt. And it was like, it's like, it's like this common vocabulary now and like warm memories where we talk about, Oh, our favorite picture books that we read to the kids that, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't grow up with those because those books were published after we were children. But, it, you know, it's sort of like this library of books that we've all read together, you know, either individually with our children or, you know, all of us listening. But it, it's kind of it's kind of nice where we're like, oh, yeah, why me what? You know, that, that's such a funny book. <laughs> we're all like Maisie books. Oh, yeah, I love Maisie books. Or, and, and even how each child had their own series that took them from took them into being an independent reader. Like each child had their own series that they like loved and it like it it was like that aha moment where they're like oh my god I can read now um and so we kind of all shared those moments and and those books and you know it's like those books are forever you know we can be you know great grandparents and like give those books to our great grandchildren and say like you know you're you know whatever your grandmother or your mother or like that was their favorite book you know and that's this is the book they read when they first realize, oh my God, I know how to read, or this was your dad's favorite book with, you know, like the two of, like, you know, whatever. It's just like, it's so many, it's so many warm memories, you know? Yeah, it's so cool because that's, uh, that's the thing I love about talking to, um, like, authors who grew up um, either being read to or reading early in their lives. It was just something that we didn't do as a family. And now I see the value of it. I see the value, like you said, that speaking to the womb thing was like, once I got that and understood that, you know, and, you know, I think the thing that I noticed about it was particularly with my youngest daughter, because she was the one that I started doing it first with, was the moment that she was, you know, outside in the world with me where I literally had her in my hands that the moment I start talking to her, her eyes just like popped open. Like she recognized the voice, like she knew oh. who I was. And that for me was a sold it. Like if it was a, if it was a, a swamp land in Florida, I would have purchased it right there at that moment. And so it's incredible to kind of see those kinds of things happen. But the question I have for you, because I also love hearing about the journey into literacy now was this something that you just always knew you were going to get into or how did you get into and so deep into this space of literacy yeah no it was this is like a weird journey um so my oldest was in first grade in a k1 class because you know just for numbers and so um the teacher was chronically ill and so we literally had substitutes for substitutes and by april um you know, I realized like all the first graders were really far behind the other first graders in the school, like, like, like late years behind in reading and in math. Um, 
you know, because it was like subs for subs. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I got to catch her up, you know, because like you can't be behind in first grade. I mean, like, you know, that's <laughs> when they're learning how to read independently. I mean, it's just like, there's a lot of learning going on. And for the kindergartners, it's like less of an issue. So I started like trying to figure out like, how, like, first of all, what are the holes? And then how do I catch her up? And I, I'm not a teacher. So I would like ask every mom friend I had who was a teacher or, and I, and I tried everything. I tried um, explode the code phonics books. I tried phonics systems. Um, I did Singapore math, kindergarten and preschool and first grade. I did word. I did. I just did everything under the sun. I would just work her through it. And she was like a, she was like one of those quiet kids who like doesn't like to hear her voice. So it was mm-hmm. like very hard to get her to read out loud. But if she doesn't read out loud, I don't really know what she knows and doesn't know. So, so I was doing like, you read to me, I'll read to you, like th- that series of books. So that kind of coaxed her into reading. And, and so anyway, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm telling the other parents and they're like, wait, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing this. And I'm like, I like this. I don't like that. I tried this. This didn't work. This seems to work. And, and so they're like, can you just, just tell us what you like? And so that's when I started, I had, I think I started blogging and I just started listing. These are the things I'm doing and the things I like. Um, And then because I was just reading to the kids and my kids are actually a quarter Chinese, a quarter Japanese and half Korean. So I did like three book lists, Japanese American, Chinese American, Korean American, you know, because I was also just looking for picture books for them so that they would understand their culture and the Korean one went like slightly viral because it was a pretty new blog. But I was like, whoa, like, mm-hmm. you know, my friends who were Korean American are like, oh, thank you for that list. I bought every book on your list and I sent it to 20 of my Korean American friends and they're buying every book on that list because it was just so hard to find, you know, anything that was, you know, you know, like, like diverse books at that time. Like it was my daughter's 23 now. Um, and so so anyway, so so then I'm blogging along. And I have my, you know, lists, you know, all kinds of books, just like, you know, because we're literally reading. Um, I'm going to the library, two diff- three different libraries. I'm going to the libraries three times a week, 30 picture books at a time, which is all I can carry. And I'm pulling them all from lists, you know, so like lists from other libraries, because then the books are more likely to be there. And every night I'm reading 10 picture books to my kids. So like we're just cranking through the books um, and, and then I'm covering like the ones I like. And then at, and then I would say like one year into blogging, I saw that study by Lee and Lowe that said the number of diverse books has not increased in the last 14 years. Um, I was like, what? That's crazy. Cause like I'm from Southern California and I had gone to like my goddaughter's birthday party. who was like, I don't know. She was like maybe like six or seven. And I was like, 19 out of the 20 girls are mixed race. Wow. Like, this is crazy. So I decided I would just put it out there on social media. I'm going to focus on diverse books right now because I feel like there's good books out there that nobody knows about. So I just want to put a spotlight on it. And then another blogger, Valerie Boudere, who blogged at Jump Into a Book, which was like um, extension ideas at the time, reached out and she said, I saw your post, like, let's talk. So we got on a phone call and she was like, we should start our own holiday. I was like, you do that? She was like, oh yeah, you just pick a day. 
Right. And we're like, okay, okay. So we met in the spring. We picked, we're like, the fall is too busy. The holiday season's too busy. You know, like we randomly picked a day at the end of January, which we didn't even know it was Holocaust Remembrance Day. So like we've had to switch since then. And, wow. and, and, and we were all bloggers. We all grew up. I mean, our, our blogging community was all children's book bloggers. And we were all like, you know, in kind of in the same circles. And so we decided, like, we know publishers wanted reviews. So we would get, you know, the, our thing, we get books donated and then the bloggers would write reviews. And then we put all the reviews in one place on our holiday and we would share it on social media. And, um, you know, it's like everyone wins. And, and that's kind of how we started. Um, and then as time went on, um, you know, cause I, we were always like, okay, like our whole thing was like, we, to wag the dog, you, what you really need to do is drive the sales of diverse books. You can okay. tell publishers to publish books all you want and shame them or scold them, whatever, but the, the tail wags the dog. So it's the sales. I mean, because I have an MBA and I, I'm an entrepreneur. So it's like, I, I know, follow the money. So we're like, right. if we can just get more of these books selling, then, you know, it, 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 the publisher's interest will increase. Um, and so, so like, so we were sort of put it out there. Like, any, anyone need a book? What kind of book do you need? We're here to help you find the book that you need when you need it, that kind of book. Because like, for example, like I used to go into my kid's preschool and do a, do like a Chinese New Year event every, you know, every year. And, um, and I got this like paperback, you know, you know, Chinese New Year book at like a bookstore, like in the sales section. And honestly, mm -hmm. it was the worst Chinese New Year book. It was so boring. Mm -hmm. and, and I would use it year after year. And then finally I made like a Chinese New Year book list. And I was like, okay, this clearly is the worst book. And look at all these other better books. And so, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like run home, like there's good books. You just have to, you have to find them, you know what I mean? And then read them and evaluate them. And, you know, there's all kinds too. There's like some that are more about the Zodiac and some that are more about the great race. And some of them are more about crafts and how a family celebrates in China or, in the United States, so, there, you know, there's like, it's, it's kind of what you need when you need it. And so because I was, we were always saying like, hey, what do people need? We'll either find a list, we'll make a list, or we'll find the book for you. Like, I'll just do the Google search or whatever. I would start to get like, you know, like inquiries, like, hey, do you know this? Do you know that? And I would just, someone would be like, do you know, um, like Native American, middle grade nonfiction? I will be like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm literally researching it because that's what I also want to promote on my social media, you know, so uh, for the nonprofit and for my own. So I'm like, yes, I do. And like, here, here are my recommendations. And then it would be like, do you know Latinx, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yes, I do. And then one day it was like, do you know Asian American? And I was like, oh, wait, I wrote something because my daughter was in pre-college for Rhode Island School of Design. She was an illustration major and her project was to, to make a picture book. And she was like not getting any sleep. She was commuting from Boston, which was like literally like a four hour commute round trip. And she was falling asleep and she was missing her stops and it was like crazy. So I was like, oh, you want to do an Asian American, like, you know, whatever, notables or activists, whatever. I'll, I'll just like find them all for you. You know what I mean? Like A to Z. 
so that, you know, cause it's really an illustration project. And then, so I, so I, so I, I found it, I wrote it and I was like, here you go. And she was like, I can't use that. That would be cheating. So I was like, <laughs> okay. Then I, I was like, I might as well just finish it. Maybe she'll illustrate it cause she's doing illustrations anyway. And uh, anyway, so I just went to the back burner. And then when someone said, oh, you know, we're looking for someone to do Asian American anthology nonfiction of notables, I was like, I have 26 of them. You know, here we go. And so I had to do sort of this like bake off here. I, I think I have the book um, and compete against um, other authors. But I ended up I ended up writing this book for Scholastic. Um, OK. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's only available through the book fairs or the flyers. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was sort of, um, and then at the same time I had written, I had taken a picture book class at like literally like my high school, you know, um, you know, like, you know, community education class. And mm-hmm. it was great because we actually had three like very talented illustrators who were just taking the class because they were mostly illustrating. And, mm-hmm. um, like Janie Ho was one of them who like, she's like illustrated, I don't know, three dozen books for Nosy Crow. Um, and then went on to write her own. Um, Jen Benton was in that class. Um, and her debut picture book came out, um, not as a result of that class, but like she had been working on it. And then, then their other friend who only went to the class once, but she was like, like a new illustrator awarded, you know, like, you no, know, and super nice. Like she, she's still, she's still in Boston. Um, and so, um, so I had written the Sumo Joe manuscript for that class, but then I was like, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I don't know how to write a query letter. I don't know how to get an agent. And then I, I saw that Lee and Lowe competition and I was like, oh, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if this is good enough. And then my, my middle daughter was like, no, I really, I think Sumo Joe should be a book. And so like the, the day before I was going to go on vacation, like I, it was still like a two week before it closed. I was just like, I'm just going to send it in because like, you don't need a query letter. You just need to put your name and like your phone number and your email. And so I sent it in. And then as I, as I say in like, like when I do classroom visits, like raise your hand, if you thought I won that competition, mm-hmm. yeah, I did not it? win. I did not win actually. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, and, but I did get a letter that said, you know, you didn't win, but we, but we liked your story and we wanted to know if you wanted to work on it with us, we'd give you free editorial. And I was like, that's how I could use free editorial. Right. So we, we, we probably spent like six or nine months on maybe like three rounds of edits. Um, mm-hmm. And then they said, then they offered me um you know, a book contract. So yeah, hear these stories from authors. And that is the thing that I just have no patience for. And that is sending your stuff out there, sending it. And I was listening to Kwame tell me his story about the number of times that crossover was turned down, you know, before someone actually picked it up. And that has taken his career. And Newberry award winner. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, yeah. you know, the moral of the story is stick with it. Right. But the patience yeah. of the story is like, no, especially when you're like, you, you have something birthed inside of you and you want it out there for people to have. So how did you, you know, you like, know I have another story for that because then my middle daughter, the one who said, you know, you should get that Sumer Joe published. She also uh-huh. told me in high school, there's no 
Asian American female athletes, like of any note. And I was like, Chloe Kim, you love Chloe Kim? She goes, she's the only one. So I ended up writing this book, Changing the Game, just to show her, like, look at all these like gold medal Olympic athletes, you know? And and, and we were trying to publish it right at the pandemic and Asian American women were literally being attacked and killed in San Francisco Uh and New York's Mm -hmm. Chinatown. And my agent, which is like a non-traditional agent, but he literally was the media company, the book packager that hired me to do that book. Um, Because during the pandemic, he said, no one's doing book packaging anymore because no one's meeting face to face. So I'm, I'm just sending in, I'm, I'm talking to my writers. And if you don't have an agent and um, you have a manuscript, let me send it in because I actually know, I know, I know some of the editors and let me see if I can get it published because I did that and I got someone else's book published. So anyway, so he said, um, so we said, Oh, let's just do this as a Kickstarter, which we did it. You know, we had it all lined up for a Kickstarter. And then he said, let me just try to sell it because, you know, Asian American females is sort of like front page news right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we tried and he tried and he tried to, you know, we we kept saying, Scholastic, are you interested? And they're like, no. So then I ended up doing it as a Kickstarter book myself. Um, And then three years later, like as of January, it actually came out in June, Scholastic bought reprint rights. So now this is coming out through Scholastic. Again, just the book fair and the flyers, but. Have you noticed that the, have you noticed that the publishing kind of journey to actually get your book into, to the masses changed for the better or for the worse? Because one of the things that has happened as a result of the pandemic and other things is that, you know, people had a lot of time on their hands. And so, you know, a lot of books were written, a lot of books were self-published, a lot of uh, stuff is out there. And a lot of it wasn't good. A lot of it is just like, you know, I can't even tell you the amount of books that people send me on fatherhood. And they're like, could you help? I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh, nah, it's, you know, I know you got a great story and I know your story is very personal to you and I know it probably means a lot to you. Um, and that's what drove you to write this book. But everybody who has a great story isn't an author and you like, there's a process to doing that. Have you seen in the last at least few years that more people are in this space and and particularly people who read books and write books are having a hard time sifting through all the stuff to really get to quality books? Well, I mean, I think I think like getting to the masses is like a multi pronged issue. It's like Mm. if you if you have the you know, if you have a very large publisher, you know, then you have more distribution channels, like you can get into bookstores, you know, and libraries. But on the other hand, unless you're like the big book of the year for them, you're not getting that much marketing time. You know, you're maybe getting like three weeks of their attention. Um, And so I've known authors who have like, you know, big publishing companies and the book went from picture book to board book, which meant it did very well. And then it got killed. Like literally the book is, you know what I mean? They killed the book. So it's no longer in print. And I, I'm a shock because I was like, your book literally went to board book. I saw it myself at target. You know what I mean? Like, you know, 
Um, but they did a lot of calling during COVID also. I mean, it's, you know, it's a business. And so it costs money to print books. It costs money to store books in storage. Um, and, you know, and so that, so then the next layer is sort of like, okay, smaller publishers, you know, like, like Lee and Lowe, like Barefoot Books, which I, which I have books coming out with. And um, so they don't have the um, retail, like they don't have access to retail. Um, right. But retail is also changing where you have Barnes and Noble saying we're not stocking so many titles of children's books anymore because basically we're calling the list to have fewer titles, the ones that sell well. So, I mean, you have all kinds of pressures, you know, um, but but the smaller and the medium sized companies, um, they're they're mostly focused on the library and school market, but they're less likely to kill your book. So like Lee and Lowe said, you're, you know, Sumo Joe will be in print forever with us, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so there, you know, because also it, it, the, the trajectory for a book to take off is not, is not a, you know, a, you know, sort of like a straight line. It, it, it can, it can be like very good at the beginning and die, or it can be <laughs> topsy turvy or it can, you know, it, it's a, it's its own unique journey. So, you know what I mean? Like a book that doesn't do well in the first year doesn't necessarily mean it will never, I mean, you know what I mean? It's it just, it's all kinds of other, other factors that maybe even you have no control over what, what, what makes a book the thing do well. too is you got to have your like, you know, I tell people like, you know, we have our niche, right? You know, my niche is fatherhood. And so I don't really have to, you know, when I create a book around fatherhood or related to fatherhood or specifically I'm writing it because my intention is to have it being used as a tool in schools or those kinds of things. That's the only place I'm looking. I'm not looking out into the mass public to get it. Now, if they see it and they like it and they want to buy it, then I'm fine with that. But that's not the focus of why I created the book. I think about the graphic novel, Mia, that I just wrote. I wrote that thing five years ago after coming from Africa and being inspired to write that thing. And I remember talking to people about this is literally when I think, you know, uh, crossover had really hit big. Um, and some years after that, Jerry Craft books and, and grab people began to start talking about graphic novels. But everybody was talking about how expensive it was to, like, do a graphic novel. Yeah. Right. And so and I had publishers said this is a great story, but we just don't have we don't have it. We don't have the budget to like, you know, to do this or to and do so it right. If like if it needs to be in color. Yeah. So I set out and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing on my own. And, but I didn't you know that was a journey that I'm going to find out how to talk more and more about. You know, that was a five year journey. I found a great illustrator. He gave me a nice price for each page, you know, but each page was a hundred. I'm not telling you how much I spent on it, but each page oh, was a hundred. My graphic novel has 200 pages plus the cover. So you calculate that up, how much I've invested into this, into this book, you know, but the goal was to your point, maybe I might create this thing on my own, put it out there and then begin to move. And some publisher sees it and say, Oh, this concept is already ready made. All we need to do is pick it up and move it and shift it and, 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 and move it into its basis. And so, you know, when I look at folks, when people are looking at self-publishing, because it's a real huge conversation now and people really want to get their stories out there, there is a challenge now with particularly with minority 
um, authors looking to, you know, get their books out there that don't have influence and don't have followers and don't have niches, but they just got a great children's story about a rabbit who, you know, got lost in the forest and trying to find his way home, right? <laughs> it's a great book. Any child would like, listen, read it and hear it and like it. But publishers are like, nah, you know, it, it's, it seems to me that subject matter, particularly in children's book, in the children's book space is erratic. Like you don't really know what's going to hit or how it's going to hit. It's just a matter of putting it out there and seeing, you know, who pops for it. Right. And so as you're working with those books, because I want to get to the Multicultural Children's Book Day and really help people understand what that is and not so much for the day, but for you as a resource, because you walk through all these things you're seeing and all of these things you're creating so that you can level out where people can actually find these things. So talk to me a little bit. About- well, wait, let, me, let me just double back on what you were saying earlier. One okay. is graphic novels as a market is exploding. So I know, um, I know one company that literally told their editorial staff they want, you know, one graphic novel released every week, like into, the, you know, what I mean? like done, you know, like, like out into the, I don't even know how you do that because they, they don't have the staff to do that. So the graphic novel market is exploding. It's probably one of the brighter spots in publishing, even mm-hmm. though it is expensive and, um, and your book, because it's done, um, just if you want to get other channels like the library and school market, oh, it's done. I, it, it's, I mean, on your, it's on I the mean, way to you. That's why I got the address. Yours is on your way, so you can see it. You can hold it in your hand. Oh, I, 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 think you should, I think you should get an agent to shop it um, because, you know, because you do want those distribution channels that they can offer. And then, right. you, you know, you can get in advance to um, offset your really high cost already. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a little bit easier before the book's released for them to do it. Um, right. Though it isn't, it isn't, a, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's you, they'll still take it, you know, but it's a little bit easier if it's, they release it's their ISBN number than reprinting it. You know, I think it's it's a little bit trickier. So if you haven't if you haven't released it into the world, it might be worth having an agent just spend three months shopping it because the the market is so hungry for graphic novels and the fact that it's done and the illustrations are done, I, I like because because that was this it's already done. I, right. I think I think it's like it's it's a more of a no brainer. For a public, mm-hmm. it's already done, so we don't have to pay you the full cost of developing it. We can mm-hmm. pay you less and have you earn it out as a royalty. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Okay. But then, but then they'll give you they'll give you that library school library market, which is that's the biggest market. You know what I wow. mean? Which otherwise wow. it's 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 really hard to get that. I I I can barely sell this on my own. Amazon won't even promote my book, even if I run ads. I mean, that's how I didn't wow. realize. I thought like, oh, I'll just promote it my own. I'll just run some Amazon ads and Amazon won't even take my money. So now, why is that? Why is explain to me why that is? Could you explain that? I think it's because I used a free ISBN number from, uh. um, 
you know, whereas, you know, but, you know, it didn't make sense for me to buy, you know, the ISBN number package as if I was going to be a publisher. So when mm-hmm. they see a single ISBN number, they think, oh, it's independently published crap book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That we're mm-hmm. not going to promote it because the chances of it being very bad is high. So even if you say, like, I'll spend $100 in Amazon ads, you know, under Asian American biography, mm-hmm. we don't want your book coming up in the algorithm. So wow. we, won't even, we won't even take your money. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, here's my money. They're like, we spent literally two cents of it. I was like, hmm. Huh. I have yeah. to look at that. I haven't even thought about doing that. But wow, we'll have a private conversation. We're having an offline conversation about yeah. that. Because, yeah, we'll have an offline conversation about that. But what I want folks to know, particularly folks who listen listening to this podcast and that are out there thinking about one or two things, either for many of our dads, um, it is like, I don't know where to start when it comes to looking for a book and reading to my children and what that looks like. Um, and then the other thing is many of them like really want to write their own books. They really want to write their books for their children because they don't see the, they don't see the stories that they want to read to their children in the space. And this is the other element. And we'll come. I just want to say it so we can get to it. And that's not so much that there is X number of minority related or multicultural related children's books out there that many of those books aren't written by the very sector of people they're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and I'm going to tell you a story when we towards the end about what happened to me while I was in Nairobi and what I've decided to do about that. It was just interesting. So talk a little bit about the multicultural day children's book day and how people can get engaged in it and what it could do for them, either as an author or someone who's really looking for books that could that speak to their their story. Okay, great. So we are in the process of rebranding. So we're readyourworld.org, which is our hashtag readyourworld. And so this year we're read your world celebrates multicultural children's book day as a transition. But if you go to our website, which is multiculturalchildrensbook.com um, or readyourworld.org, which we'll feed into that, you'll find like a whole tab of resources. And one of them is just book lists. So we have like lists of lists and it's like sliced and diced, you know, like all kinds of ways by country, by ethnicity, by genre, um, you know, by holiday, um, you know. And so within each category, there's, more, you know, sub sub groupings of lists and each category also has, you know, like a, like a dozen or, or plus of, of, of book lists. And I personally curate them. So they're mm-hmm. all like book lists from book blogger friends that I know where they, I know they read the book and I know it's their opinion. It's not just, you know, the Amazon publishers blurb. Um, and so like that's one resource where you can find anything that you need from bedtime stories to middle grade to graphic novels. I mean, it it can be, you can find things very specifically drilled down. And I kind of think that's the easiest way. Like it's just in general, when you're looking for what, what, you know, you either Google it and, you know, lists come up or you can go to our things and the, our lists are curated because um, a lot of us also update our lists. So, you know, we might have, you know, like books for Martin Luther King Day, 
but it will be, you know, as new books come out, we'll update it. Um, and also just if you want diverse books. So what we do is we give away free diverse books. Um, you, you can sign up to be a reviewer starting in September and then the registration ends at the end of the year. And then you'll get a book mailed to you like around end of December, early January. Um, and that's, an, that's also a great way um, if you're battling banned books, you know, because you can sign up for a book that might not be available or a type of book that might be hard to come by, like LGBTQ or, you know, African-American. And it will come, you know, discreetly to your own mailbox. And no one knows okay. that you're getting that book, you know? Right. Um, and, then, um, and then we ask that each person, who, like for each book you write, just a short review. You can leave it on Amazon. You can put it on social media. If you have a blog, you can put it on, blog, on a blog. You can make a TikTok video, you know, just if you're a teacher or a librarian, you can just show how you've used it in the classroom as a display or picture of you reading it to a classroom. The, the person who's donating the book is either an author or a publisher, and they just want to know that you're using the book because, you know, they're incurring the expense of mailing it as well as giving you the book. Um, and then we have a place where you can upload um, on the, when you sign up, like where you shared it and you can also share it on a linky on the day of our event. Um, and, and, and you can sign up for as many books as you want. It's like, if you have three kids and you want three different, you know, picture book, chapter book and middle grade, you can sign up, you know, one for each child. Or if you're a blogger, you, you, you feel like you can cover like 10, 10 books. Like you can sign up for as many as you want. Um, and then, you know, it, you know, then there's other holidays, right? Because then it's like Read Across America is in February. So you can sign up for books and use it for both holidays. Or, you, you know, you can just, you own these books. So you can use them year round. If you're international, because most of our don um, book donors are based in the United States, we can still get you um, like PDF copies of the book or like an e-book e version. Um, until we build out our network of publishers like in countries because it's a because it, shipping can be very expensive. Right. Um, have you seen an uptick in um, Kindle? Have you done anything with Kindle or are you not gotten into that space yet? Um, yeah, no, because we're finding people want physical books. Right. Um, and, um, and, then, and then we also have other resources. Like we make a classroom kit every year. Um, this year, it's on climate change and environmental justice. Last mm -hmm. year, it was on, um, I think it was on structural racism. I mean, so we, we make um, a classroom kit that's an extensive book list, activities, discussion guide, um, and a poster that was created by Illustrator just for that. And all of the classroom kits are available year-round, and they're free. Um, and that's another resource for you know, for parents, for teachers, for librarians, for homeschoolers, it, you know, it, and it's, you, you can see, like, it started, it started with kindness um, mm -hmm. when Donald Trump got elected. So we're like, everyone was worried about, because it was just a lot of violence. And then the second one was on, it's empathy, but it's, it's really um, immigration and the refugee experience. Mm -hmm. We have one on disability, on poverty, on activism. Um, I mean, it's every year we try to pick what we think is what people are. Oh, no, actually, last year's was um, 
mental health. It okay. was like on, and the year before that was on after George Floyd, we're like, we need to, we're like, we need to do not just racism because we're seeing a lot of it. We need to do it on structural racism because people don't wow. understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. So every year we make this resource. Um, we have a homeschool one, but um, yeah. So our website has resources that you can use year round. And then once a year, you can get free books if you sign up between September and the end of the year. And that's mm-hmm. coming right up. It's coming right up in just cool. a few weeks. Cool. So as we kind of close out, I do have one more question for you. I'm just curious as to whether or not this is touching you or um, you are seeing something that we're not seeing. Has this banned book thing kind of touched anything that you're doing? Are you finding that any of the books that you are moving and authors that are coming through are showing up on banned book lists? Oh, it's crazy. At first I thought, oh, you know, they're just going to go after the bigger authors and it's going to amplify their books and they're going to end up selling more books. But no, since the lists are so extensive and the criteria is so vague Mm -hmm. um, that um, in, in many States, not where I live, but in many States, um, you know, authors are saying that they're, you know, their royalty checks are being decimated. Like the, the books are being pulled, you know, everyone's afraid to buy them. Everyone's afraid even to, you know, they don't have access in libraries. Um, it's, it's bad. Um, I mean, there are workarounds where you see libraries like, um, you know, Brooklyn and New York public library giving library cards to anyone um, mm-hmm. and, and getting anyone can get access, especially, um, you know, eBooks. Um, mm-hmm. But, but so we're trying to fight back by saying that the kinds of books they're banning are basically diverse books, you know, of minor, <laughs> uh, minority representation from ethnic groups to religious to LGBTQ. And so like, so we're fighting back hard by saying you can get these books through us, just sign up and the book will arrive. And, and I think it's really important because the book will arrive, it will go to the reader, and nobody will know. Because I even saw, like, on Little Free Library, you have, you know, you have, you know, the right, you know, the Christian right wing going from Little Free Library to Little Free Library, removing diverse books and putting in Bibles, you know? Right. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not even enough to say, like, I'm making this book free, um, if the person can't, you know, it gets removed or people feel intimidated to get those books. But I feel like here, no one knows what, no one knows you signed up, period. Well, Nobody knows I, what you signed up for, you know, and, you know. You, it's just you crazy can, when you think about it. We're talking about books, right? We're talking about children's books and you got to, someone has to hide the fact that they want to read to their children. That's in essence what that boils down to, right? Oh yeah. It's like, you know, it's like we live in a dictatorship, you know, like we're not allowed free thought. And it's also the, that like the, the, the reasons why they're eliminating it too are ridiculous. It's like white fragility. Like we can't say Rosa Parks, you know, didn't move because she you know, was, you know, she wasn't tired. She was just tired of, you know, of, of having to deal with this racism. Instead, mm-hmm. you can't even say, you know, it, it, the whole thing is, it's crazy, like, to try to erase history because, the his, the, you know, because it reflects 
it, it forces white people to reflect on the the role it had in the past yes. and uh, how they perhaps might have benefited from from it. Like they can't even um, they can't even be subjected to a moment of discomfort, you know. Wow. Whereas all the minority groups, like we've been in worse than uncomfortable situations from, you know, like, you know, like my mother was, you know, forced from her home for being Japanese American during World War II. Like, you know, so we've had more than just inconvenience and, um, you know, other people can't, they're, they, you know, they, they don't even want to think about. I, I, for example, my son did in high school, he did his, junior thesis they have to write like a 20 page paper on the japanese american internment concentration and he did it like my oldest did it on like oh it was racist and my son did it it was because they the because the japanese americans had something like 60 percent of the food was in california was created by japanese american farmers and mm-hmm. so all these white farming groups that were you know agribusiness for decades, try to figure out how to get rid of them. And they literally went to Congress to say, like, definitely imprison them because we want we want those fields. We don't want them farming. You know what I mean? Right. And and that's what happened. And so when my son wrote about this is the the you know, the, the this is one reason why the Japanese Americans, you know, were you know, were were forced into internment camps, his teacher literally said, Oh, um, that could that 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 could perhaps be interpreted as a conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I live in a super liberal town, right? We're as blue as can be, and <laughs> I, I mean, I ended up having to meet with the head of the history department to say, like, you know, you know, which is an all white. I mean, they're wonderful teachers, but they're it's all white history, wow, wow, wow. and I was like, um, white people cannot define racism because. You know, well, guilt has no boundaries. So um, I, I was just like, I was just really like, stunned. I'm still stunned by that. Yeah, um, I said I only, I said I didn't have anything other, but I do have one more thing that I want to throw at you, see what your thought is on this, only because we had a big conversation about this when we were in Kenya, both Kwame and I, and some other authors that were with us, and Jerry Craft, and we were talking about this. What kind of an impact, if any, is AI going to have on authentic writing? So, I mean, it's writing and also it's images, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I can see how like Mid Journey can make the cost of a graphic novel, you know, pennies on the dollar. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it, it doesn't have to all be stolen images. I could see, I could see an illustrator drawing the characters and the scenario, you know, like sort of the backgrounds and then having mid journey say, have the characters do this, have the characters do that as either reference or kind of get you like three fourths there, if not all the way. And that drops the price of graphic novels because hand drawn, as as you know, you paid for it. It's super time intensive and it's expensive. Um, As for writing, I mean, it's going to be really hard to duplicate as, as we reference like an own voices, a lived experience. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I think um, 
maybe picture books is a little bit harder to duplicate to write an AI, but middle, but books with longer like word counts, it's a little bit easier to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, I come out of staffing and so it, it's impacting, it's impacting everything. And I think what we're thinking about it as it, it has to be seen as a tool, right? A yeah. tool that everyone can harness. Like, it's sort of like, okay, there used to be typewriters and then there were word processors and then there were computers and people wow. fought, you know, letters to email. People fought it, but you have to think of it, it's a tool, you know? So if it's a tool, then it helps you write faster. Maybe it helps you draft or, you know what I mean? Or it helps you research. Um, but I think, I think, one, it's unavoidable. So you have to get on board, whether you like it or not, in the sense you have to learn how to use these tools. You know, yeah. you have to learn how to use Midjourney. You have to, I haven't, I've, I've tried Midjourney. I haven't tried chat GPT, but I think we all have to be familiar with how the tool works and the tools keep changing so rapidly. Like you can't just try it once. You have to sort of, like I, I have a, I have a, uh, the neuron. I read this AI newsletter that's um, classmates of my daughter from Northwestern. It's a daily AI update just mm-hmm. to see like what's going on. But um, I do have to play with ChatGPT. So I think we have to be aware of it and how it's rapidly changing. We have to use it. And then we have to see how we can use it as a tool for ourselves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm dug in deep. Only because, I mean, I'm dug in deep because I'm curious and I love all technology. I love evolution. I just love evolution, you know, to your point, looking at it as a tool, not as something that's going to invade Earth like Godzilla and, you know, and, and trample all over all the people and, and just leave everything in, in, in uh, leave everything in, in, in. I mean, it could go that way. I'm not saying it could, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's literally people who are trying to do AI safety. So like yeah, yeah, yeah. the machines don't take over and it's like a Terminator world. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, that, that is a possibility. I mean, I don't think we're there yet, but like, you know, I, well, I, AI I is, is believe in alternative universes, right? Say one universe that could happen in another one that can't happen. And it's like, yeah, everything can happen in, in a universe. Right. And then, and, and, and everything can happen a lot faster than you think because this AI, like, you know what I mean? Sort of, paradigm shift is happening faster and sooner than anyone I would say predicted, you know? Absolutely. Mia, let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and how you can find out more about your work. Oh, sure. Um, I'm on social media at pragmatic mom, one word. So you can find me on most platforms as that. If you can't find me on the, on as pragmatic mom, then on a few platforms like LinkedIn or YouTube, it's just my name, Mia Wenjin. Um, and I have a website as MiaWenjin.com and a blog, Pragmatic Mom. So if you just search my name and Pragma- I should come up everywhere. And my email address is public. So please reach out to me. I'm, I'm actually bad at like DMs on like <laughs> on platforms, like searching and responding. The fastest way I respond is through email. So right. Um, Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You're such a joy to talk to and you will be hearing from me. I will be back in your mix as we continue to move throughout this year and I get these books um, moving and get back into this space. And I'm going to take your advice with respect to the graphic novel. We, um, My plan was not to release it until next year because the storyline actually was inspired in Africa. So we're actually doing a book release in Ghana um, next May. 
um, but I was going to soft release it right before Christmas. And so I may take a step back and kind of move it out there a little bit and see if it tickles anybody's fancy. And if about, not, yeah, let's get you a traditional publisher. You know, why yeah. not? Yeah, absolutely. So, and thank you to all of my I Am Dad podcast listeners. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, again, make sure you follow, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share, and make sure you leave your comments. Um, you know how I like to leave you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself, or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And that's my good friend and mentor, Arthur Mitchell, used to always say to me, it's nice to be important, but you know what? It's much more important to be nice. And so throughout the week, have a great week. I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And until next Sunday, take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs>